Oh, that's good stuff. Let's give a big hand to everybody that worked so hard on VBS this week. I can't thank you enough, friends, for your hard work and leading and directing and being station crew leaders. Just a great group of adults and youth that came out and worked with the kids. And what an awesome, awesome week. You know, our hope and prayer is that these young lives will commit their, themselves to Christ and serve him for a lifetime. Can I hear a big amen to that? Hey, I want to give a big shout out to everybody who's watching online. Welcome, welcome. We appreciate having you with us so very, very much. And also a big shout out to everybody attending Traditions right next door in the chapel. I want everybody here in the worship center to give a big applause to everybody who's in Traditions. Everybody in the chapel, people are going crazy. They're laying on the floor laughing and screaming and shouting. They love you so much. It's absolutely awesome. Tell them that's exactly what happened next time you see anybody there. But we have two great services every Sunday, 10 o'clock, one here in the worship center, one in the chapel. Traditions is a little bit more traditional. This uh, service here, a little bit more contemporary, but both absolutely vital. And, of course, the message is the same in each. I want to uh, take just a quick moment before we dive into the Scripture here today. And uh, you'll see on screen a, uh, a QR code. And I want to talk for a moment just real quickly about uh, our small groups that we're developing this summer to launch in the fall. And uh, if you take your phone and just kind of put it on that uh, QR code, it'll give you a survey. Uh, you also see it online for everybody watching online. Uh, if your phone isn't working well for you, if some of you are a little bit technological disadvantaged, go ahead and use a connection card. You can do the same thing and drop that uh, in the black box as you leave. But I'd like to just uh, have you answer a few of the questions. You know, small groups are a great way for people to be connected, great way to build community, great way for us to encourage one another. And we asked just a few questions. You know, uh, what kind of categories of small groups interest you the most? Uh, home groups, uh, Bible study type groups, hobby groups, uh, active activity groups, special interest groups, you know, similar age life station groups, uh, groups focused on setting specific topics, maybe a book club or things of that nature. You know, kind of let us know where you're at there. How likely would you be to join a small group? How likely would you be to lead a small group? Uh, feel free to volunteer a good friend to lead a small group if you want. We'll take that information as well. And then uh, what are some, uh, you know, shared interest or special activity groups that you might be interested in either being a part of or even leading? You know, think outside the box, hiking, biking, triking, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, and let us know. We just want to build a bunch more groups as we move into the fall. So thank you for doing that. I appreciate it so very much. Today is 4th of July weekend. Happy 3rd of July, everybody. Great to have you here today, and uh, this is a very important message here today, a very important day for us to take a few moments to talk together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for our nation. Uh, Lisa and I uh, and our family, we're a military family, as many of you know. And so these kind of days have a little special significance. You know, growing up, it used to be all about baseball, apple pie, hot dogs, you know, 4th of July. That's kind of what it's about. But as a military family, you have a little more skin in the game. It's just a little more serious, a little more somber. You think about things a little bit differently. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, I don't know too many families who have given their two firstborn sons to uh, the Army. But that's us, and that's our story, and we're grateful and honored and privileged to be able to do that. But yet there's a little bit of a, a somber piece to it. Let me illustrate. 
uh, over Memorial Day, Lisa and I had the privilege of uh, traveling with uh, our oldest son and his wife and children uh, on vacation down in Florida. And uh, when Memorial Day came, I remember looking at my phone and I saw something in my inbox. On Twitter, a feed came through of Sergeant, Marine Sergeant Rosario, and I immediately recognized that name and recognized that face. But to be sure, I took my phone and I showed it to my son. I said, Reg, is that her? And he said, yeah. As you've heard me say before, Reggie was uh, deployed to Afghanistan in the evacuation. We didn't know where he was until he was on the plane coming home. He was the last plane out. While there, he worked with Marine Sergeant Rosario, and she was one of the 13 that died in the suicide bombing. Worked with her day in and day out. Just uh, outside the airport at one of the gates, a suicide bomber came and 13 of our uh, military uh, were killed. He was in that very location uh, the day before. And I just remember sitting there on vacation, just kind of feeling the weight of that and looking at my son, looking at his beautiful wife, looking at our two gorgeous grandkids, and just thinking, thank God my son came home. Dear God, I pray for the Rosario family whose daughter did not. Would you join me this holiday weekend in praying for our troops? Would you pray for all of our military that God would keep them safe? As well as praying, of course, for our nation. Today, as grateful and appreciative as I am for our country, I have a real heaviness about the direction of our nation. And I want to just speak to the church of Jesus Christ, you and me, fellow Christians. My hope is not in a nation, to be clear. My hope is in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Not a politician, not a nation, not a set of laws. It is in Jesus Christ alone. And make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Can I hear a big amen to that? I love my nation. I love America. We have a lot of skin in the game as a family. But there is no confusion in my mind or in my heart as to where my true hope lies. It lies in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And I'm deeply distraught, heavily distraught, that the church of Jesus Christ is in a very perilous position. And we are not being the people God has called us to be. We're on a precipice, you might say. So much is polarized and politicized and so much is partisan and become polluted that people are confused and people outside the church don't even know what it means to be a Christian anymore. And we, as the people of God, need to be clear. There needs to be no confusion as to what it means to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We need to live, we need to love and lead like Jesus. We need to return to the roots of the early church. We need to return to the church that Jesus Christ established way back when. And today I want to talk about what it means to be compelling, compassionate Christ followers. I want us to think deeply about where we are in our walk with Christ and how that appears to a lost and dying world that is far from God. And I also want to take a moment and I want to address what I believe our response should be and what my response is 
with regard to the recent ruling from the Supreme Court on Roe v. Wade and how that fits into all of this. But first, let me share a little bit about the series we're in. For the last year, that's right, one full year, dating back to this time last year, we have been in a master series talking about what it means to build a biblical worldview. And you see on this, uh, this diagram here, I have talked over and over again, and many of you have picked up on it and offered just encouraging words, and others of you are probably still trying to figure it out. But I have said over and over again, we must live, I must live in the center of three circles. I must live, I must love, and lead like Jesus. I need to live in the center of three circles. And those three circles are important, but they're all important. All three of them are important. And all three of them are necessary, and all three of them are absolutely vital if we are to be compelling, compassionate Christ followers. Our biblical morality is important. What we believe is really important. We need to believe deeply. You know, in the Judeo-Christian ethic, we need to believe in the Ten Commandments and the Eight Beatitudes. You know, those uh, passages of scriptures really mark out what we need to believe. And, and we did an entire series on the Ten Commandments the first of this year. And the Beatitudes, you know, last fall. We've walked through all of these scriptures over the last year. We need to believe deeply. But that's not it. That's where a lot of Christians today stay. They get stuck. That's the only thing. They have one circle and that's it. There are three. The second one are biblical purposes. Why on earth are you and I here? We are here to build bridges to people far from God. The Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. It's so vitally important that we are absolutely all in at reaching the world for Christ. And that's why we have 80 missionaries and missionary projects, and that's why we reach out through 30 different ministries to our local community through the Bethany Compassion Center. We need to be all about the great commandment, love God, love people, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so it's important to know what you believe, but somehow you've got to figure out, how am I going to fulfill God's purposes? And that is the second circle, but that's not it. There's another one, and that's biblical virtues. I need the ethic of love to flow out of my life, to overflow from my life. I need to not just believe that circle one. I need to behave that circle two and three. I need to be like Jesus. I need to live like Jesus. I need to talk like Jesus. I need to walk like Jesus. I need to be consumed with the idea, I want people all around to look at me. This is what we all need to say and say, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Biblical virtues, we've talked about 1 Corinthians 13 the last couple of months. And these two months of summer, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. What does Christ require of us? He requires us to love. And what does love require of us? The fruit of the Spirit that we're studying here this summer is found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We talk about these as being nine virtues to, uh, nine keys to living a virtuous life. What does virtue, what does ethical living look like? It's, it's these particular Christ-like traits. The fruit of the Spirit talks about the character traits of Christ, the characteristics of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is us being like Jesus these traits, these characteristics need to be seen in our life and need to flow forth from our life. They're, they're marks of maturity, marks of Christianity, marks of Christ-likeness. 
We can call ourselves a Christian, but if we're not living like Christ, that is a direct, you know, contradiction there. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, maybe are best understood when you compare them with their opposites. Take a look at this next slide. The fruit of the Spirit on the left, and then let's go ahead and put the next slide up, the uh, fruits of the flesh on the other side. Just think about that. Love versus hate, joy versus despair, peace versus anxiety, patience versus impatience, kindness versus rudeness, goodness versus evil, faithfulness uh, versus unreliability, gentleness versus harshness, self-control versus undisciplined. If we took a moment and put your social media accounts up on the screen for all to see, would you be more like the left or the right? And the truth is, a lot of Christians would be more on the right. And what kind of witness is that to your lost neighbors that are going to a Christless hell? You say, well, nobody's perfect. Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about perfect. We're talking about maturing, becoming more like Christ. These last three years have been hard for everybody. How have you done? How have you done at living, loving, and leading like Jesus? How have you done at demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit? Some of you have done quite well. Some probably haven't done very well. Jesus commands us to love. In the new commandment, John 13, 34, Jesus said this, Love one another, 34 and 35. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Love. It's how Jesus built his church. It's the assignment he's given us. Love. Many Christians today want to go back to Joshua, you know, going through the land, pillaging and destroying. That was then. That's Old Testament. Some want to go to Revelation, Jesus coming on a white horse destroying and attacking everybody. That's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. But for you and me, Jesus said, here's the simple commandment. Love one another as I've loved you. This is how they'll know you're my disciple, by how well you love. We talked a lot about this last week when we talked about our Bethany Compassion Center and the 30 ministries that reach out in love to our community. And I would that all of our church family would get involved in some way, shape, or form in helping love be permeated and presented to our community. Look at the great commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, Jesus said. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You say, why did Jesus say the second is like it? I would think that the first commandment would be so much greater. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That seems to be like way out there, and the second one kind of way lower. No, Jesus knew that the way we prove the first one is by how well we do the second one. It's not just about what we believe, it's how we behave. Then Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Verse 44, but I tell you the truth. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. When's the last time you prayed for a political enemy? When's the last time you prayed for someone that believes very differently than you? You say, well, you know, I'm not into that verse. I'm into other verses. I get it. 
Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is a hard assignment, but it's one he has promised to empower us to fulfill with the power of his Holy Spirit. Can I hear a big amen to that? Love. Love. So how have you done the last three years? What does love require of us? I believe there's three things that we need to commit to if the church, I'm talking about across our nation, the church, capital C, is going to impact and influence culture. There are three areas that we have got to be all in on, and the first one is this, unity over division. That's number one. Our nation is divided. Right now, we are the divided states of America. If you don't believe it, pay attention. It is as divided as been in my lifetime. Families are divided and becoming more divided over all that's happening. And the Church of America is divided. Entire denominations are being fragmented. There's all sorts of division. And if you haven't thought of it lately, multiplication and addition is the way of God, not division. Division destroys. Division distracts. Christians are spending so much time fighting with each other, fighting with people who hold different views, fighting with the government. Listen, if you spend all your time fighting, you have no time or energy to love. You are going the fighting road or you're going the love road. And Jesus said, I've got one commandment for you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All others will know you're my disciples if you love. We need to be consumed by that passage. That new covenant, that new commandment needs to consume us. We need to wake up in the middle of the night praying, God, help me love so a lost world understands what it means to be a Christ follower. That's what's compelling. All the fighting, anybody can do that. A lost world, people of the kingdom of darkness know really how to do that. It's loving. Now that is hard. And that's what Christ has called us to. You can't go two directions at once. It's interesting to me that Jesus could have prayed anything before he left and went to heaven. And in the high priestly prayer of John 17, he said, Father, may they be one as we are one. Just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one he prayed that the people of God would be one because he knew division would lead to distraction, would lead to destruction. Paul picked up on it. He said in 1 Corinthians 1.10, let there be no division among you. Be perfectly united in mind and thought. Church of America, not doing well. 1 Corinthians 3.3, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Paul says in Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, be completely humble and gentle. Those are two very important qualities. Be patient. There's another one. Bearing with one another in love. There's another one. Make every effort, every, every, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. St. Augustine, or Augustine if you prefer, said this, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. That's a good statement. And the essential is Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. That is the essential. Everything else doesn't come close to that. 
And so we have to think about that. What does it mean to love? What does it mean to be united? What does it mean to be on the same course? Instead of staying united and loving, leading, and living like Jesus, the church is embroiled and fighting about all sorts of things. And we've just come through it. You could list it off as much as me. The pandemic, those that say it's real, those that don't. You know, wearing masks, vaccinations, you know, all things politics, you know, uh, all the different parts of politics, you know, economics, you know, race relations. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I mean, just to illustrate, I think back uh, some months ago now, it's been a little bit, but over these last uh, couple years, I get a call from uh, an individual in the church that says, Rob, I'm leaving the church. Really? That's terrible. I'm sorry to hear that. Why are you leaving the church? Well, I believe wearing masks is political. It's political. And, uh, you know, I'm not into that. I said, well, let me explain. You know, we, we believe it's a medical situation. We've had people in our church die. We believe in the expertise of medical people. And uh, we also believe in First Peter chapter 2 that says we need to honor uh, uh, and submit to governing authorities. And so, you know, I tried to explain. Said, no, no, no can do. Not interested. I'm out of here. A couple days later, I get another call. Rob, I'm leaving the church. Really? Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Why is that? Well, it's because not everybody's wearing a mask. I said, well, you know, we've asked everybody to. We aren't tackling people at the front door, granted. But uh, now, I saw two people without a mask. I'm not coming back. It's not safe. You know, and you chuckle about it a little bit, and, and I, I do, uh, just as you did. But there's so much of that kind of thing, whatever the topic might be right now, where there's so much division. For us to expect we're going to accomplish the mission of God is the joke. We have got to come together. I'm talking about the church across America, and it starts here at BCA. We need to come together on the one thing we hold dear, and that is Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. And we have got to live it, we got to love him, and we got to lead other people to him. And that's it, that's all. All the other stuff, friends, there is room for a difference of opinion, but there is no room for division. Jesus Christ and the apostles said, don't go there. Disagreement? Difference of opinion? Sure. I've got a difference of opinion with a lot of people. But I can still love them. I can still support them. I can encourage them. You know, the state of the church in America is on decline. You may or may not be aware of it. Long before the pandemic, the church is going down, uh, you know, by different percentages and in different demographics more than others. And some of young adults is kind of a big demographic that's an area that we're just really trying to focus on these days. But it really concerns me. You know, those of us that have lived a little bit longer, those of us that are parents and maybe even grandparents, we need to stop and think, are we living a compelling Christian life so much that our kids and our grandkids say, yeah, I want to live for Jesus? Or are they saying, you don't even believe what you say you believe. Why should I? And present statistics are bearing that out. The next generations coming up are saying, my parents or grandparents, they don't even believe. Why should I? I mean, they say the right things, but their life doesn't show the fruit of it of the Spirit. Loveless Christianity is a contradiction in terms. 
And I could go down a long list, and I won't take the time to do that, of all the different things that Christians have disagreements about. But the important thing is to know that Jesus has called us to live, love, and lead like him. Andy Stanley has written a new book that I highly recommend entitled, Not In It to Win It. Not In It to Win It. And if you're interested in making the Great Commission the purpose of the church, if you're very, very interested in living, loving, and leading. In fact, I need to write Andy and say, we need to get half the royalties because basically the thesis of the book is live, love, lead like Jesus. He's been eavesdropping on all of our sermons this past year. Can you imagine that? I'm going to have to email him. But one of the things he says in there, he says, is that views has become more important than use. I think I got a slide with that on there. Let's pop that up there. View, opinions, you know, ideologies, thoughts, ideas are more important than people. And so we shoot each other down in the church and certainly outside. And there's a lack of compassion for people. You say, well, I don't agree with that. I'm not saying you have to agree with it. I'm just saying, what is Christ calling you to do and be in your sphere any sphere, economic, political, social, at work, at home, how can you live, love, and lead like Jesus in such a way that points people to Christ? If Jesus were here and you were to say, well, how could people believe this and how could people believe that and call themselves a Christian? Jesus would say, there's only one way to heaven and that is through me. There's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved except the name of Jesus, Acts 4.12. And the Bible also teaches, Jesus would say, that there's a sanctification process that's happening, and everybody is on a different journey, those who are Christian, on trying to grow and become more like me, and some are further along, and some are, uh, you know, farther back, and it's different for everybody, and it's, it, it's uh, part of the process. People are working out their salvation with fear and trembling, and we are to be patient, we are to be merciful, we're to be loving, we're to be kind, we're to help lead people, we're to have grace. We're to have grace for people who are on the way that maybe just haven't quite seen it the same way. Today, many Christians don't want to hear about it. I'm reading a book on the Crusades, 800 pages long. Turn to your neighbor and say, who in their right mind would read a book 800 pages long? I mean, Richard the Lionheart and Saladim and, you know, all the main players, Popper, they're they're all in there. 200 years of, you know, annihilating one another. And there's this kind of sense today among some Christian circles that that's us. We need to be on a crusade to destroy people. How does that match up with what Jesus said? A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. All men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Almost every day, almost every day, it's, it's very, very close Uh, Rex and I go on a walk. I take Rex on a walk, and as we walk, I'm listening to a podcast on the history of Rome. Now, I need to come back a little bit and say, actually, I'm not leading Rex. He's leading me. How many know what I'm talking about? And he's not listening to the podcast. I am. He's too busy sniffing out rabbits and squirrels. 200 episodes Turn to your neighbor and says, who in their right mind listens to 200 episodes on anything? But I'll tell you what, episode after episode, I think to myself, 
why in the world, Jesus, did you choose to plant Christianity in that culture? You talk about hostile. You talk about oppressive. You talk about difficult. We don't even know. And yet, Jesus, which many thought was a Nazarene sect, a Nazarene cult, Jesus planted early Christianity in that culture, and Christianity grew and grew and grew and eventually changed the worldview of all Western civilization. By hate? By fighting? No, by love. Live, love, and lead like Jesus. They did it the Jesus way. There are people in pain all around us. And as long as the church is divided, we are going to be powerless in pointing them to the Savior, the only one who can meet their need. The second thought I want you to think about is compassion over condemnation. Jesus says, love, don't condemn. The last two months, our team has led us through a study of 1 Corinthians 13, and now we're going to work our way through the fruit of the Spirit. And last week and this week, I've talked both weeks about the subject of love, thinking about love. How can it be manifest through our life? There's another passage besides 1 Corinthians 13 that's just littered with incredible, powerful truths on love. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let me just give you a few of the phrases. It says, bless those who persecute you, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with others, do not be proud, do not be conceited, do not repay evil for evil, live at peace with everyone, do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Love, that's what it looks like. James says if you really want to keep the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you're doing right. What if we spent our time, energy, and money on living, loving, and leading like Jesus and showing Christian compassion instead of condemning all sorts of people? I wonder if that would make a difference. It sure would. Let's talk for a moment about the recent uh, Supreme Court ruling on Roe v. Wade. What should be our posture? For some, it's to gloat and to celebrate. Wow, we've won. We've, we've crossed the finish line. Everything is wonderful. And I get it. I get that. Life is amazingly precious. And as we shared on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we believe deeply we are to protect and respect life. Many of you will remember all of the life agencies that were with us and had tables out in our lobby. But is gloating the way to go? When you work in the trenches with people like the Pregnancy Resource Center and other agencies in the city that are dealing with deep, deep personal pain and fragmented lives, gloating doesn't really come to mind. You, you find yourself thinking about how can we give? How can we give? How can we help? How can we help the confused? How can we provide hope? How can we provide encouragement? How can we give, not gloat? I would agree more with the letter of David Mitchell, who is the executive director of CareNet, Pregnancy and Family Life Service Organization across our nation. And they work closely in our uh, state with people like the Pregnancy Resource Center. And here's what he said. Listen to this. After 49 years and 63 million lives lost to abortion, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. 
And while we rejoice at the lives that will be saved through this ruling, we know that this is not the finish line. In many ways, this is simply the beginning of a new era of reaching vulnerable women and families with life-affirming support they need. Though this historic decision will impact abortion rights in many states across the U.S., this ruling has effectively, this is Dave Mitchell talking, effectively no impact on abortion access in Washington state. He goes on, abortion was legalized in Washington state in 1970 before uh, Roe v. Wade. And under the current law, abortion will continue to be legal in our state. Likely thousands of women will begin flooding into Washington in search of abortions. Now hold on to your chair. Early estimates, he says, predicts 385% increase in women coming into our state for abortions. And finally, he asks that we pray, that we give, that we share. And then a P.S. Women in our communities are afraid. Some believe abortion is their only hope. And now that Roe v. Wade is overturned, they think abortion is illegal in Washington. All their hope is lost. These women need support and services of CareNet to find hope in Jesus Christ for themselves and their unknown babies. So I ask you, what does love require? What does love require? The fruit of the Spirit, love, the love of Jesus Christ, what does that require that's, that's stirring in your heart? Does it, does it require that you gloat and say, we've, we've done it, we've won? Or does love say, now the work begins. Now is a tremendous opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to serve people in need. Now is our opportunity to show Jesus Christ in powerful ways. What does love require? You answer that for you. I already answered it for me. Over the years, we have been building what I call a culture of life. I want you to notice this bubble chart. We have 11 different ministries reaching out to women and children in our community. I feel like we are as prepared as anybody. I just wrote a letter uh, that's going out to 30 churches in our area saying, hey, through the Bethany Compassion Center, we would love to serve you and your church as together we lead the way in reaching out to women and children and families in our community. Now is the time, is the message. Now is the time to serve. Now is the time to give. Now is the time to help. There's confusion and hurt and needs everywhere we look. And one of them that you see on here is the Pregnancy Resource Center. This is a crisis pregnancy center right here in our community that we work with and, and give to and support on a regular basis. They have some needs of some supplies. You see it there, uh, pajamas and, uh, and diapers and things of that nature. Crisis pregnancy centers in every community across our nation, and certainly right here, PRC and our community, are terribly underfunded and need support, and I would encourage you to give a gift to the PRC. Go to their website, or you can give it through the Bethany Compassion Center, and we're sending everything we possibly can their way as well. Somebody suggested, since the ruling came down on June 24th, why don't you give a gift of $6.24, or $62.40, or $624. I think that's a great idea. These friends are on the front lines, and we want to do everything we can here at BCA to support their working, to show God's love in practical ways, to come alongside uh, women and, and families who are going through a really difficult time and see how we can help them. The Everett Gospel Mission, every year our church 
raises funds and raises workers to come alongside and build out rooms at the Everett Gospel Mission so that uh, moms who are on the streets have a place to stay. We used to do one every year. Now we're doing four, and we hope to see that continue to grow. In addition, we work uh, in raising money for benevolence, providing resources for rent, utilities for moms and their children to avoid eviction and provide support during times of crisis. You see the single mom support group up there, providing support and friendship and, and skill training and, uh, and other classes for single moms. And then the snacks for kids, there's a great program to help the kids of these single moms just to support them with some of their necessities. We work with Evergreen Recovery Center, these are moms who are in uh, uh, recovery uh, because of certain addictions and providing showers to help uh, you know, raise resources and supplies for their, their family. Foster care support group, uh, such a vital, vital ministry these days. How can we provide more and more opportunities for foster care families to step up? Partner with Healing Hearts. This is a ministry reaching out to women who have gone through abortion or other uh, violence or difficulties, abuse, things of that nature. Abundant Life is an organization we work with that uh, really kind of ties a lot of pro-life agencies together in our community. Hand in Hand supports children and families in crisis, uh, providing clothing closets, emerging food box, uh, boxes, and many other things. And then, of course, I mentioned PRC earlier. Olive Crest works with not just foster, but adoption services. What a powerful, powerful message. I believe that BCA can be a leader among all the churches in our area because of the advanced work we've done already through the Bethany Compassion Center. Think about this. In Jesus' day, in Roman culture, infanticide was prevalent. Not only did the culture that Jesus birthed the early church were they really anti-women. Jesus was pro-women. They were also anti-children. Jesus was pro-children. Suffer a little child to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And so Romans would say, hey, go ahead. Uh, you know, boy, baby boys are a priority, but if, if you can't, you know, afford them, go ahead and, and throw them in the river, literally. And certainly with baby girls who were less important, terrible, I know, Go ahead and throw them in the river. What did the early church do? What did the early church do? They went to the river and they snagged all the precious babies they could and they brought them to their homes and raised them, provided for them when they didn't have enough room in their house or enough money. What does love require? I ask you to join me in thinking very deeply about that. I know many of you have, but some have not. What does love require? It means going to the river and not just having the right belief, circle one, but fulfilling God's purposes, showing God's love in practical ways, and allowing the ethic of love to flow out of our life in such Christ-like fashion that everybody around says, that's what Jesus looks like. New commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Just the beginning, David Mitchell says. 
Paul says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Jesus loved us. My time is gone, but let me just hit this last one in about two minutes. Purpose over preference. God's purposes over my preference. God's purposes over human opinions. That must be the order of things. God's purposes, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor, fulfilling God's purposes, sharing the gospel, showing God's love in practical ways. That must be our passion. Here's what the Bible says. We are to build bridges to lost people by how we live our lives. Paul said, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. That's what love looks like. Acts 15, 19. It is my judgment, James says, therefore, that we should not make it difficult. How many hurdles do we put in front of non-believers by, by what we say and how we act where they say, whoa, I don't want to become a Christian if that's what a Christian is. Do we even think about those things? You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. You are the light of the world. We are to be light, showing people the way, not pushing them away. Philippians chapter 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars. God, may every person that's a part of the BCA family shine like the stars in a dark world that is on its way to a Christless hell. There's only one thing that'll last forever. That's Jesus, God, the Word of God, the ways of God, the purposes of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are to be Christ's ambassadors. We are to be his witnesses. So as I wrap it up and we put the three circles back up again, for the last year, we've been talking about living in the center of three circles. And just before we take communion and close the service, I want you to ask yourself the question, what does love require? Just believe some stuff, all important? Or is it also behaving, becoming like Christ? You received the communion emblems as you came in. I want you just to take these. And I want us to just bow our heads and our hearts. And I want us to close this way, particularly... I want us to pray for our country. I want us to pray for churches that preach Jesus Christ as the hope of the world. I want us to pray for one another that we will live, love, and lead like Jesus. Lord, as we hold in our hand, we hold in our hand the, the bread that represents your broken body, beaten, brutalized for us. As we take this bread, Lord, we're mindful that we live in a 
in a world and in a nation that is far from God. And what this nation needs from the church is us, for us to live a compelling Christian life, compassionate Christian life, a Christ-like Christian life in word and in deed. May our actions and our attitudes reflect you. And so every one of us in this place, Lord, that knows you as Savior, we dedicate ourselves to you afresh and anew today to be that people. And as a church, we choose to be that church. Help us to grow, grow, grow in love. May the fruit of the Spirit, love, flow from our life like never, ever before. Would you make that commitment? Would you make that renewed commitment? As we take the bread, let's take it together. Lord, I thank you for this great nation, and I thank you for all those that serve in our military. I thank you for those that put themselves in harm way to defend our freedom. I thank you for the past. I'm concerned about the future. And I pray, Lord Jesus Christ of God, that you will help us be a people that live a compelling, compassionate, Christ-like Christianity. Not just in name only, but may our actions and our attitudes be deeply Jesus-centric. As we take this cup, Lord, we remember you dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Not just for the sins of us, not just for the sins of those of us in churches like this, not just for those that live in the United States of America, but everybody who has ever lived and who will ever live in the future anywhere in the entire world. You died for the world. You are the hope of the world. And you are our hope. You are our hope. Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. As we take this cup, we remember your sacrifice and the blood you spilled on the cross. Let's take it together. Would you stand with me all over this place, friends? Would you just lift your hands to heaven and would you just pray with me in your own words, God, may I be a compelling Christian. May I be a compassionate Christian. Lord, may I be a Christ-like Christian. Lord, I pray that for myself. I pray that for our leadership. I pray that for our entire church family. God, may you stir our hearts in a new way. May you change our attitudes and actions where they need to be. God, may we behave and become, not just believe. And as a result of that, Lord, may we be a church that intersects and engages our community in such a way that many over time will come to find Christ as Savior. Friends, as we prepare to close this service, our prayer team is coming forward, and if you have a special need, I just invite you to come. Maybe you want to stand in and pray for a loved one who is far from God or a friend who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you want to come in and stand in for someone who's going through a really hard time. Maybe it's you, maybe it's someone you know. I just invite you to step out from wherever you are and just come forward. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all that you mean to us, and we thank you that you are the hope of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. God bless you, friends. Thanks for enduring the weird lighting. Uh, we'll try to get that figured out. If you were distracted by that, you need to work on the power of focus. For all of you that were with me every point of the way, you got it mastered. Good job. That was a test to see if you could focus. But please, would you take these things to heart as you leave this place today and ask Christ to do a fresh work in your life as I'm asking him to do in mine. God bless you. We'll see you at the barbecue. We'd love to pray with you. We invite you forward. God bless you.